Welcome to Hack and Slash, the podcast where we hack into slashes. I'm John. And I'm Campbell. And welcome back to our continuing series of reviews of each and every entry in the Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street franchises. So far, we have covered the first eight Friday the 13th movies, as well as the first four Nightmare on Elm Street films, so check those out if you haven't already. And this episode, we're talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, from 1989. It was directed by Stephen Hopkins, who also did Predator 2 and some Tales from the Crypt episodes. And the screenplay was by Leslie Boehm, who hasn't done much else in the horror genre. And I should mention that there were also apparently quite a few rewrites by other writers. And before we get started, here is the spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about this entire movie, start to finish, who lives, who dies, and who becomes part of a Norwegian new wave band. We begin with low-lit, blue-tinged shots over naked bodies, which could be interpreted as sexy, if not for the scary music, and it eventually becomes clear that it's Alice and Dan, the characters from the previous movie, having sex. I actually think that besides the scary music, I'm surprised that since the sequence is supposed to be sexy, the fact that it's subdued and subtle, it actually does register as such which is something that I'm not used to from this series, you know, subtlety. So I'm quite impressed with the opening credit sequence. Yeah, there is actually some artistry there, which, again, surprising and unexpected. Exactly, what? <laughs> Afterwards, Alice takes a shower and the drain becomes blocked and some mud-looking substance starts coming up. And then the water starts becoming hot, and the tiles and taps and the shower head are breaking off, and soon the whole shower is filling up with water until it's over her head. She pushes against the door until she sort of magically breaks through it, but finds herself in a dark hallway. She wanders through, and then she suddenly in a nun's outfit, and is surrounded by a bunch of maniacs in an insane asylum. So this is obviously the setting of Freddy's origin, which we heard about in Dream Warriors. I was really upset when this happened. She's walking through the hallway and suddenly I'm like, oh great, she's a nun. We're gonna go back to this Amanda Kruger thing. I didn't care about it in part three and I don't fucking care about it now. The camera actually lingers on one of the inmates who is portrayed by Robert England. So perhaps this guy is meant to be Freddy's actual father. Alice looks down at the name badge attached to herself, which says Amanda Kruger. Some orderlies are counting them all, ultimately deciding on a hundred, not very subtly reminding us that Freddy was the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. And they leave as Alice slash Amanda cries out for them not to leave her there. Where soon enough the inmates, including Robert England, descend upon her. And Alice wakes up screaming in her room with Dan, but then Dan suddenly becomes the Robert England inmate and grabs her before she wakes up for real, and she hesitantly goes to take a shower. So yeah, as is pretty much tradition, we open with a dream sequence, and it's okay. The shower thing doesn't do much for me, it's a little mundane for a Nightmare on Elm Street scene. And then, like you touched on, seeing the asylum and what may have happened to Amanda Kruger, I could do without it, frankly. 
I was actually a big fan of Freddy's origin story when it was told in Dream Warriors, but part of that was because it was in my imagination. It was much scarier there. Seeing it? Eh. I don't find it scary or disturbing, really. I don't like the way it's shot or lit, and I don't like the set. So, yeah, no thanks. We then see the end of a graduation ceremony at Springwood High School, and we're introduced to Alice's new friends, Greta, Mark, and Yvonne. And honestly, the dialogue here is so rapid-fire and without substance that I just couldn't take any of it in. But we do find out that Greta is an aspiring model, or at least that's what her overbearing mother wants for her, and that Yvonne is a swimmer, and they all plan to have a party at the pool later. Alice then meets up with Dan, who presents tickets to Paris, but she's just disappointed her dad didn't show up to the ceremony, and she tells Dan briefly about her nightmare. And then they're interrupted by Dan's parents, introducing him to a football coach, and they walk away together. Alice walks through the crowd, bitter about her dad not showing up, but then he appears, explaining that he didn't want to embarrass her because he's apparently known around town as a drunk, although he's now sober. And she leads him away to get a photo together with her friends and their families. When Dan is finishing his speech... And he puts on his silly glasses and says, Let's blow this pop stand. Ugh. I just... I couldn't help but vomit in my mouth a little bit. Greta's mother is so over the top that I'm having sleepaway camp flashbacks. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, her performance is just insane. Yeah, totally. Mark... His dad is in the crowd, and he calls over because he wants to get a picture with him. And I feel like Mark's dad would get along really well with Nancy's mum, because he seems to be drunk in the middle of the day at a graduation ceremony. So, yeah, there's that. Actually, thinking of it now, Dan's dad seems to be a little bit drunk as well, so I think maybe I'm just watching another nightmare film in which no one can act. <laughs> yeah. And since I'm on that subject, I agree that the um, dialogue between the kids is so rapid and forgettable, but cherry on top of that, they're also doing a horrible job of acting as well. Then there's Alice's dad. Uh, I feel like his performance is slightly better than the other adults, but then he talks about how he's sober now, so maybe it's just that his character is sober, so maybe all of the others are supposed to be alcoholics? I'm so confused. But, um, speaking of her dad, it is really good to see that his past behavior and relationship with Alice is being addressed, and not just being forgotten about completely, as I definitely would have expected for this movie. I agree. I think even the character himself showing up is sort of impressive in a way, like... Exactly, yeah. I wouldn't have expected that, that they would even bring back that character, because... I hadn't really thought about him since the last movie, but if you're going to continue the character of Alice, it makes sense. Yeah, and there hasn't been much else, but so far I'm impressed by that. This is a great movie. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right, it's actually the best. You just, have to, you just have to take a step back and look at it from a third-person perspective sometimes. That's, that's how you enjoy all, all the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. You just step back until you're in another room, and then it's great. <laughs> and can no longer see it or hear it. Yep, perfect. Precisely. 
<laughs> then it's a 10 out of 10. Alice then says goodbye to Dan and her dad and heads to work. Along the way, she cuts through a park and sees the familiar children dressed in white and playing with a skipping rope and singing the famous rhyme, and she follows them into the woods as it transitions to nighttime. And she finds one of the little girls finishing the song with a slightly different lyric, 9-10, he's back again. Alice finds herself alone in a clearing as the shadows stretch out before her. Nice and creepy overhead shot there, actually. Definitely. I didn't take notes about any of what's going on in the park here, but I did take a note of that. It's a very nice effect. Before a nun appears in front of her. Oh fuck, the nun's back. (laughs) (laughs) And she follows her towards a huge painting. (laughs) Well, I imagine it's supposed to be a real gothic castle they're headed for, but uh, yeah, clearly isn't. And it's the institution. Right? That is the most gothic mental institution I've ever seen. I didn't realize that Freddy was conceived in 1886. <laughs> that his dad was probably hanging out with Dracula. <laughs> yeah. So she goes inside, wandering the long, empty hallway, until she sees a huge, monstrous pram rolling by. She walks past it, seeing what appears to be a shadow of Freddy's glove on the wall. A creepy little shot, too. It's nice and subtle, surprisingly. And then she sort of falls, and suddenly she's being pushed along on a gurney and led into an operating theatre. She looks around at all the doctors and nurses and nuns and sees herself looking back at her. And we see that it's actually a very pregnant Amanda Kruger that's on the bed. The doctor says the baby is breech and instructs her to push and is horrified at what he sees when the baby is birthed. And we get a quick look at this monster baby creature with Freddy's eyes before, through a POV shot, it runs past Alice and out the doors. Alice follows and finds herself in the church setting from the end of the Dream Master. She sees the baby climbing up onto a pile of Freddy's clothes, and it starts screaming and screaming, and Alice seems to know what's happening as she says, No, not again! The church starts being torn apart as the altar rises, and the baby Freddy starts growing and transforming until there's a little explosion and Alice gets up to see Freddy, reborn and fully formed, complete with his hat and glove, and he proclaims, It's a boy! (laughs) And does a little pose. He stalks Alice around the church for a bit before Amanda Kruger appears and says something about how she's going to kill him, but Freddy disappears. And then Amanda's all like, I must be released from my earthly prison, and to look for her in a tower or something. And then she disappears as we hear Freddy's voice saying, You'll never find her. And then Alice finds herself in a guess the same diner from the last movie and she's told off by her boss or whatever who says she's four hours late for work and Alice starts to make a phone call. So I'm sort of half and half on this whole nightmare sequence here. On the one hand, if I understand them correctly, there's some cool ideas in there. 
where Freddy's literally rebirthed through the spirit of his mother or something, and although the demon baby is a little goofy, his transformation and return is shot well, and it's gross and dramatic, but on the other hand, there is a definite feeling of not knowing what the fuck is going on. Like, I'm guessing a lot and extrapolating from what I've read online, but I don't think anything is made super obvious. I have a rough idea of what's happening, but I feel like there's a logic in there that I'm just not privy to. I don't think there is a logic that you're not privy to, because it seems to me that none of that makes sense. I mean, I know it's a dream, so I suppose anything goes, but... Freddy was not a burn victim when he was born. And where did Amanda Kruger come from? Where did she go? Where was she in part four? And why is he able to rebirth himself through her spirit now, as opposed to seconds after he was defeated in the last movie? And also, that fucking Freddy baby puppet is the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> At the school, a bunch of kids are having an after-hours pool party, and Yvonne dives into the pool impressively, and everyone cheers for her. She goes over to where Greta, Dan, and Mark are hanging out, and they say a bunch of stuff to each other. It's all inconsequential, really, except that Mark suggests they drink a bottle of champagne, but Dan says that that's for him and Alice to have together later. Anyway, it's more of the same poor dialogue, and even worse acting. You know, the type that I'm used to in a nightmare film by now. Yeah, I think the writers were trying really hard with the dialogue to make the teen characters hip and cool, but it comes out very artificial. It really does. And establishing these characters further into what they are, the model, the comic book guy, the jock, it kind of just illustrates how much these people won't or shouldn't be hanging out. They shouldn't be friends. There's no reason for this group to be a group, to be a clique. Right, this isn't The Breakfast Club. Exactly. It's just, this is a slasher movie, and they're all going to be doing it together, but we want to have variation in personality, so we're just going to throw all these disparate personalities together. I mean, it's not as if we haven't seen it before, but it just seems a lot more apparent here for some reason. One of Dan's friends comes over and tells him he's got a phone call. It's Alice freaking out, telling him that Freddy's back, and he says he'll come and pick her up at the diner. On Dan's way out, Mark reminds him not to forget his champagne by passing it to him. He's on his way to the diner, and during the trip, he falls asleep. Why? In the last scene, Yvonne said that she had work in a couple of hours, so it can't be that late. And Dan didn't appear to be drinking with everyone else and Alice's work isn't across state lines or anything, so he can't have been driving that long. Why would he fall asleep right now? He's a teenager. Teenagers are just fucking full of energy, and falling asleep behind the wheel is a very uncommon thing to do. It doesn't make any sense, but oh well, it's happening. But Dan doesn't realize he's asleep until he hears this on the radio. Right now, we're open for your calls. So go ahead. I'm calling about my wayward ex-son, Daniel, who's been acting like an ungrateful, unmanageable dickweed ever since he was seduced by that bimbo slut or Alice. Mom? Okay, I don't care how bad this film is, that's some funny shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, Freddy's hand comes out of the radio and slashes it apart, 
and then Dan's seatbelt wraps around him and the truck starts swerving along the road and into oncoming traffic. Freddy's got some terrible one-liners here. His voice is saying, put your pedal to the metal, Dan. Dan looks over and he sees that Freddy is sitting next to him chugging his bottle of champagne. He spits it out onto the dashboard which starts to sizzle and melt. And then Freddy says, bad year, Dan. <sighs> he pours some of the champagne onto his own arm and then rips it off sticks it to the ceiling, and uses it as a seatbelt. At which point he says, Buckle up, dear. <sighs> well, at least he didn't say Dan again. Dan finally manages to grab the gear stick and put it into park. One of the tires explodes, and Dan smashes through the windscreen and ends up landing next to the pool he just left. There's a phone ringing in the office, but he can't get to it because the door's locked, so he runs outside to his truck, but he can't get in because that is also locked. So he gets onto a motorbike that's parked next to it and gets back on the road. Okay, this is hard to describe, so bear with me, but turns out that the motorbike is Freddy, and parts of it, like wires and pipes and metal, go into Dan, go into Dad's body, and his skin comes off, and he is the bike? He's half a motorbike half a person? This is so fucking stupid. The effects are fine, and I suppose technically impressive, but conceptually, what? What the fuck is the concept here? This is no one's fear. No one is having nightmares about turning into vehicles. And just to make this whole segment even worse, Freddy's still yelling. He's yelling things like, fuel injection, and fast lane, not even one-liners anymore, just words, just words that vaguely relate to what's on screen. And I say vaguely because I'm not even sure what the fuck I'm looking at. Anyway, Freddy drives Dan into an oncoming truck. The end. So just recapping a little bit with my thoughts, I like Freddy taking over Dan's vehicle at first. It's silly, but I think it captures that sense of not being in control in a nightmare. I think Freddy using his own severed arm as a seatbelt is so absurd that it's kind of brilliant. <laughs> I disagree, but I respect your opinion. <laughs> I don't like Freddy's weird robot Terminator face in the motorcycle. Oh yeah, what the fuck? Yep, looks really stupid. And then, just like in The Dream Master, there's some real intense David Cronenberg-style body horror stuff going on here. Dan fusing with the bike, while ridiculous, is actually quite effective, I thought, and made me a little uneasy. And by the end, he's actually looking kind of badass. <laughs> Although he does look like he belongs in a completely different movie, like Mad Max or something. You mentioning David Cronenberg, it reminds me of when we had basically this same conversation the last time with the Dream Master, with, um, what's-her-name turning into a cockroach. This body horror thing doesn't work for me unless it's in a David Cronenberg film, I guess. Um, and I have the same complaint with both scenes. I had the same complaint last time. 
nobody is having nightmares about turning into a cockroach. I can't relate to that as a frightening thing to dream about in the same way that I can't relate to this. Nobody is dreaming about turning into a fucking motorbike. It just seems like a really moronic idea that somebody had enough money thrown at them that they could put it into a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. All right, can we stop fighting now and I can carry on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Alice is at the diner at this point, and she walks over to the pot of coffee, and out of nowhere, the background becomes Dan's motor face, and then it's him falling into a fiery hellhole. And that happened so suddenly that I laughed. I laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a similar reaction. I mean, like... I was just thinking, there's something weird about that shot in the diner, and then fucking suddenly it's his face and the, the hell pit. So it was definitely effective as a surprise. I had the exact same thing happen to me. While I'm thinking, what's different about this? It happened, so I'm halfway through my thought, I'm, holy fuck! <laughs> yeah. And it was so wrong the way it was presented because like i said the entire background turned into his face and then and then he moves away from the camera and flies down the fiery hellhole which we now realize that the diner is like the green screen effect is showing us that it's not her place of work behind her it's a pit of death but having his face come out of nowhere that big just, it makes no sense. It was it was very strangely shot. I get it, but they definitely needed to polish that whole sequence up. But anyway, I had a laugh, which is more than I was expecting at this point. I was also a little confused by Alice calling out at this moment, Dan, because he's pretty much unrecognizable at that point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I guess she might have recognized his voice, but he was just screaming. Yes, I'm surprised that she was able to address him correctly as well. So Alice hears the car crash that Dan was just in outside the diner, so she runs out onto the street and towards the blazing crash. Freddy jumps out of the truck that hit Dan and grabs Alice and yells at her like a crazy person. Oh wait, that's a truck driver dressed in a hat and red sweater with blood all over his face, yelling at her like a crazy person. And rightly so, she ignores him and goes over to Dan's upturned truck. His corpse comes to life suddenly, and in Freddy's voice he says, Hi Alice, wanna make babies? And she faints. So just about that truck driver who looks weirdly like Freddy Krueger, why is he so angry? It's such a weird reaction. He's like preemptively trying to excuse himself from causing the death of this guy. And it's like, Alice hasn't said a word to you. Stop yelling at her. Mm-hmm. He just jumped out of his truck onto her. I mean, the filmmaking answer is we want to make the audience think this is Freddy for a second. The logical answer is he's fucked. Nobody would do that. And I mean, like I said, he's got blood all over his face. He's obviously been hurt. He should be dazed right now, not in a fucking rage and trying to justify his actions to a random girl walking past his truck. It's insane. 
And just to wrap up, uh, I don't have a problem with Dan's death scene overall. I think it's a fine idea, but I don't feel anything about it either. Even though he's a returning character from the last movie, he just went from dull to douchebag to dead. (laughs) And I couldn't care less. So well said. So well. (laughs) The only thing that I would disagree with is the death scene. I don't need to say this again. I hate that shit. I'm glad that you appreciate it. I really am. But I just can't get on board with that shit. It's just like looking for the next crazy thing we can do. Dreams are not about being crazy. They're about being dreamlike. This is a far cry from Tina bleeding, rolling around on the ceiling. You know what I mean? It's getting too ridiculous. It's just fucking ridiculous. Yeah, well, they're they're constantly trying to one-up themselves with every sequel. Yeah, obviously not a good idea. Alice wakes up in a hospital where Yvonne is there to comfort her, and she tells her that Dan's been in an accident. She immediately says, it's no accident, it's Kruger, and he used to come for me through my dreams, but he's found another way. Way to act like a crazy person, Alice. A doctor comes in with Alice's dad, who tells her that they found a champagne bottle in the wreckage, implying that Dan was driving drunk. Alice insists that Dan didn't drink, and that Freddie killed him, and that they have to do something. As if she's not even in the fucking room, the doctor tells Alice's dad that these outbursts are common in the beginning, especially with women who are in shock. Yeah, how about you direct that info to the person in question, douchebag? You know, the pregnant one in shock? Anyway, Yvonne tells Alice she's pregnant, and the doctor says that she's going to stay overnight for observation, and her dad tells her that everything's going to be fine. Just want to point out, saying, you're just a little pregnant, is a terrible way to deliver that news. (laughs) I agree, yep. I did find it quite a funny way to deliver that news, but it is, it's terrible. That night, Alice lies awake in her hospital bed, probably freaking out about how people are going to look at her now that Dan had the nerve to up and die, leaving her to be a hussy, single mother slutbag whore. (laughs) She looks up and sees a little kid in the doorway. He tells her his name is Jacob, and she says she always loved that name. And she's about to tell him her name when he suddenly pipes up with, I'm sorry your boyfriend got killed. She asks how he knew that, and he tells her that he could just tell that she was sad and just wanted to make sure she was alright, then he turns and leaves. Next we see Greta in her bedroom, which is absolutely full of dolls, which is nice and normal for a teenage girl. She's crying, looking at pictures of Dan, which is actually a really great touch. It's nice to see at least one character react to his death. Her mother calls up to her to say that it's time for her beauty sleep. So Greta goes to bed, and one of her dolls falls and smashes. I feel like it was a very short distance for that doll to fall, so it must have been unbelievably fragile. Alice and Yvonne are walking through school, and Alice asks about Jacob. Yvonne tells her that they're not taking care of a little boy, and they don't have a children's ward. Alice looks a little bit confused by this, and Yvonne tells Alice that she should keep the dream stuff just between the two of them, and Alice agrees. Cut to Alice telling Yvonne, Greta, and Mark all about the dream stuff. Kind of a weird transition there. She tells them Freddy's backstory. Amanda raped by lunatics, Freddy killing children, getting arrested, getting released, parents killing him, him coming back in dreams and killing more people, using Alice's dreams to bring him more victims, blah 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 blah. She claims that that's why Dan's dead. 
and they tell her it's not her fault and if Freddy's coming for her then he has to go through them first and naturally Alice does not find that a comforting thought. I just want to point out here that I like that they're actually kind of acknowledging that Freddy's powers have extended beyond the dream world by this point instead of like the last movies where we just kind of have to assume that yeah, you're absolutely right. Since part two, that shit hasn't been making any sense and we've just had to sit here and accept it. So you're right, it is really nice three fucking parts later for somebody to actually acknowledge it. Alice's dad comes home from an AA meeting with two big bags of groceries and finds Alice crying in the kitchen. When she realizes he's there, she wipes her tears away and tries to act casual. She asks him if he's disappointed in her for being pregnant, and he says very earnestly that he isn't. He goes on to say that he hopes it's a boy, because it would be nice to hear a boy playing in the house again, and they hug. This is all really good stuff. Not spectacular or anything, but this relationship and all of the interactions between Alice and her dad are the most impressive thing about this whole film. There's actual character growth here since the last one, and speaking of the last one, the dad just subtly referenced his dead son. It's like one of the three writers knew what they were doing or something. I'm totally with you. I noticed that as well. I thought that was a really nice little reference to Rick, Alice's brother, who, yeah, died in the last movie. Like you said, subtle and true to the characters and their history. It's just plain good writing. I didn't think I could say that about this movie, but I can. Exactly, me neither. It seems that we're thinking about it in this way of, it's great how I get this tiny little thing that I have no expectation of. There's just no way that I imagined that, like you said, the father's character would even be back, let alone them talking about their past experiences and growing through each other because of it. It's, it's crazy how much I can appreciate that without caring at all. Fans of this franchise must be losing their shit over this. <laughs> At Greta's place, her mother is hosting a fancy dinner party, and is keeping up the insane line delivery. It starts with her saying to one of her friends, It's true, people are always mistaking us for sisters. <laughs> no, they're fucking not. No, she is absolutely terrifying looking. <laughs> yes, and old. She looks like somebody who is far, far from her teenage years. She is out of her fucking mind. And there's some scumbag guy at the other end of the table who says, uh, Greta certainly has the perfect body for modeling. <sighs> then he says he knows someone who I assume is a photographer and Greta just ignores him. So her mother says that she should be grateful for the opportunity or some shit. Greta reminds her that one of her friends died yesterday and her mother replies, this is fucking amazing, but we're having a dinner party, dear. And this is all going on before Greta falls asleep. This is actually happening. Her mother reminds me a lot of Kristen's mother from the last two movies. Just a real insensitive bitch. Yes, that absolutely flat refusal to pay attention to any of the very serious events that are happening in their daughter's lives. Yes. Robert England, I mean the butler, holds a platter in front of Greta and she waves it off saying she's not hungry. 
Then there's the sparkle sound that we've actually heard a few times before in the movie, it's terrible, that lets us know that we're in dream mode now. Greta and her mother exchange a few more sharp words, and her mother's heightened dream self is exactly the same as she's ever been, which is fair, I guess, because her performance really can't go any further than this. Freddy comes in wearing a white suit and a chef's hat, and he locks Greta into her chair and presents her with a platter and says, Bon appetit, bitch. Not a great line, and I'd be a lot more comfortable with it if he wasn't looking into the camera when he said it. Just something very unsettling about that. Unsettling in a good horror movie way, or unsettling in a what-the-fuck-is-happening sort of way? Much more the latter. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, of course. I'm not sure why I asked, because I agree. So it's a platter of salad with a doll on top that he calls filet de barbie. Weird. We don't see it on screen, but he apparently cuts the doll open and gets a spoonful of fleshy whatever it is out of there. And he forces it into her mouth, she spits it out, and before he can force one more down her, her cheeks have already blown up into this sad and hideous shape. There's slop all over her face and she's spitting out food. Freddy holds her for a second, then he hits her back, making her cough and choke, which everyone at the dinner table is watching in real life. Alice, back at her place, opens her fridge and sees everything in there rot in stop motion. Suddenly, Greta pops out of the fridge door? Yeah, I don't get it either. With her swollen cheeks and mouth spilling food, and Alice tries to help her. She calls out to her dad, but he's sitting in the other room, oblivious. Then Freddy comes out of the fridge, grabs Greta, and takes her back in, shutting it behind them. On the fridge door is a message that says, Die, bitch! Because... Freddy's nothing if not original. Back at Greta's place, the dinner party watch Greta choke to death. While nobody really does anything to help her. We cut back to Alice looking at her fridge, which has all gone back to normal. Then there's one more shot of Greta, dead, face down on her plate. So, that was disgusting. That's all. Not funny, not scary, just disgusting. And actually, not even that disgusting. I remember that scene really affecting me and making me feel really uncomfortable and almost sick when you and I watched this back in 2003, 2004. Not this time. Just bored and underwhelmed this time. I can't say I have a memory of it back then, but yeah, consider me unimpressed. Her fat chipmunk face just looks comical and fake. Not scary. I think the idea of an aspiring model character who's starving themselves and ultimately killed by eating too much is fine thematically, but the scene itself is trying way too hard to be weird and gross instead of dwelling on the horror of it all. And you can also tell the MPAA cut so much out that it becomes a barely intelligible mess. Agreed. I think the model starving herself, uh, or even the model being starved by her mother concept, could have been presented to us a lot more, so it would have made this kill, this scene, more meaningful. But as as it stands, it's just uh, half-baked, if you'll excuse the food pun. <laughs> I'm hilarious. <laughs> Next, Yvonne and Alice go to see Mark at his dad's place of work. 
Not sure what it is, it's some kind of factory thing, who cares? Mark's dad shows them through the place and he says, I know he's back here somewhere, girls. I think he's pretty upset. Mark! I am now 100% certain that this guy is drunk. At all times. Mark is acting like a complete asshole for some reason. I'm sure he's upset about Greta and everything, but he doesn't sound upset. He sounds like a fucking douche. Yvonne still won't believe that Freddy Krueger is responsible, but Mark seems to be on board. Alice wonders aloud how Freddy is getting to them while she's awake, and Yvonne says, why don't you two stick to reality? And Mark says, why don't you shut up and let her talk? His line delivery is terrible. Or maybe he's drunk too, I'm still so confused. Anyway, he points out that two of their friends have died in the last two days, which isn't normal. Fair. Then he says that he loved Greta, and if there's any chance that someone killed her, he wants to hear about it. Yvonne's not having any of it, so he yells at her to leave. She goes to do just that, but he stops her so he can apologize for being a douchey asshole. He asks her to stay, but she has to leave anyway because she's got a shift at the hospital, and Ellis says that she'll stay with him for a bit. Just to echo what you said, Mark is such a dick, and that actor is really bad. So Alice goes back to Mark's little art studio or whatever, and they talk about Greta, and about this comic book character that Mark has made up, the Phantom Prowler, which sounds less like a superhero and more like a serial killer rapist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm glad you threw rapist in there, because if you didn't, I would have. <laughs> Mark asks Alice to tell him more about Freddy, and we fade to later, where Mark is asleep. And Alice finds a drawing he's made of Nancy's old house, and it's presented like the most dramatic thing ever. And then we see Mark himself is inside the drawing, except he's a little animated sketch version of himself. Think the Take On Me music video by AHA, because that's all I can see anyway. It looks exactly like it. Really popular technique in the 80s, apparently. Alice quickly draws a stick figure in there and labels it Alice, which enables her to be transported into the dream. So now she's outside the real house, complete with the little red tricycle. At least they're keeping that tradition going. Yep, they've got their eyes on the important details. <laughs> and actually, speaking of important details, Alice has been pretty vocal about how she's confused about how the new dream rules work, yet she knows in two seconds that if she draws herself into Mark's comic book, then she can just get herself into his dream. Even though I'm pretty sure she didn't see him, so does she even know that he's asleep? Probably not. But she did get very hysterical and shake her hands like an old woman from the 40s when she saw the picture, so... She goes inside the house and hears Mark scream for help and she finds him clinging to the edge of a huge hellish pit in the middle of the floor, much like the one we saw Dan fall through earlier. She manages to pull him up, and the hole seals itself, and they go to leave, but Mark notices some blood on his hands, which, as I believe was established at some point, he can't stand the sight of, and he faints, disappearing in a cloud of dust when he hits the floor. And then that little boy Jacob is in the room, and he and Alice have a vague chat about nothing. 
and he says something about his mother not wanting him, which becomes Alice not wanting him, which he's apparently been told by his friend with the funny hand. Oh yeah, they never actually got to the bottom of that story. I wonder who he could have been talking about. I don't know. Hmm. That's a loose story thread that they never really picked up on, yeah. Yeah, I assumed Michael Jackson, but he never showed up. <laughs> Jacob says he's being called by him, and runs upstairs, and Alice follows only to find herself back in Mark's art studio. And Mark's there, awake, and she bandages up his hands, and tells him that Freddy is after her baby. And that she's figured out that Jacob is her son. And he suggests going to see Yvonne at the hospital to get her baby checked out, while he goes to find out more about Freddy. So at the hospital, Alice is talking to Yvonne, who is still very sceptical about Freddy's existence. Mm, this is a weird point for me, because her refusal to believe in Freddy is actually really logical. And it's the opposite of how I usually feel annoyed that people too readily accept the supernatural explanations for what's going on in these movies. But in this case, I just, I just don't understand why Alice, who's been through this before, doesn't have a much more detailed way of explaining the situation in a way that's digestible and easier for people to accept. And, you know, she could cite examples like her many dead friends, for instance. It just, I'm annoyed either way. Nobody's making sense and nobody's saying or doing the right things but then alice is awful for that in this movie there are so many times when i can't believe she just won't shut her mouth alice asks if unborn babies dream and yvonne says they do and then some doctor along with yvonne is doing an ultrasound on alice's stomach the image on the monitor starts distorting before this blue electricity effect starts covering Alice's body, which sounds weird, but judging by Alice's face is a common everyday occurrence. <laughs> and then I think Alice is seeing into her own uterus, and she sees her fetus, and then Freddy, or at least his face, is in there too, and he says he's feeding souls to his boy. As we see little images of Dan and Greta as they were when they died, shooting through the umbilical cord and into the fetus. Then Alice wakes up, freaking out, as the doctor assures her her baby is fine, and Yvonne leads her out of the room as the doctor starts to make a phone call. I didn't realize that this example was coming up so quickly, but that's exactly what I'm talking about that I don't understand why Alice, who again has been through all this before, doesn't realize that adults, including this doctor, they simply don't respond to any talk of Freddy or the supernatural, and yet she just, she just won't keep her mouth shut in front of this doctor, this doctor who's already expressed his opinion of her mental state. And also the doctor who Yvonne just said shouldn't hear what Alice has to say about Freddy. But as soon as she comes to any kind of realization about what's going on, she feels the need to express it immediately and loudly. Which, yeah, is also annoying. So basically my point is that she stays quiet and cagey with people who are much more likely to accept and understand what she's saying and then yells at the top of her lungs to people who are going to think she's crazy and be able to take her babies away or put her in a prison or something she's an idiot <laughs> so alice and yvonne arrive in alice's room where she starts to tell yvonne about freddie feeding the souls to her baby but 
Honestly, I can barely concentrate on anything they're saying because of what's in the background. It's a pair of legs standing up, wearing jeans and shoes, and sitting at the top, at the waist, is a plant. So, I guess it's some weird novelty pot plant thing, but it is truly bizarre and slightly frightening to me. And just, why put that in the movie? Like, that's a deliberate choice. No one's going to miss that. So, why? Um, I missed it. I don't see how. I didn't see that in the background at all. Of course, I, I find it hard to pay attention to background, foreground, anything that's going on in this movie. So I can't say that I'm hugely surprised by that. And I would say why, like, as to the question of why somebody would choose to put that in there, I think they want us to think that these characters are cooler and edgier than they actually are. Hmm. I just think they're tackier. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why I fixated on that, but I did. Anyway, Yvonne's calling her crazy and stuff, and then Mark comes in with some research about Freddy, I guess. But Yvonne's having none of it, and pushes past them and storms out. I can't believe that I'm going to come back to this again, but Yvonne, who doesn't want to believe anything about Freddy, is being presented with documents that, you know, it's literally in black and white, that she can look through and make a decision a logical decision, but instead she knocks them out of Mark's hand and she storms out of the room. So, you know what? Fuck it. Everyone in this movie is a dick. <laughs> also, the direction during this bit is awful. Lots of unnecessary camera movements just showing off with no purpose. Right. Really, um, really zoomy in this moment. I noticed that as well. Very strange. It brought a level of drama to this dialogue that really doesn't need it because it wasn't anything dramatic at all. And here's where things become a little awkward, because Mark basically suggests that Alice have an abortion, and she basically says no, she wants to keep him, she saw him inside of her, he's a part of her and Dan, etc. And it's hard not to interpret that as a pro-life message. And I mean, Alice, you'd rather your actual, fully formed human friends all get killed over this not-even-real-yet baby? Yeesh. I don't know if I want to get into this discussion on this silly horror podcast, but yeah, I know how I feel about it. I hear what you're saying, um, and I definitely... It's impossible not to read this scene as it comes across like a PSA or something, but at the same time, it's smoothed over so quickly. My note on this whole interaction is, abortion? No. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Alice looks through Mark's research and sees an article about Amanda Kruger before her dad calls her downstairs and she finds him as well as Dan's parents waiting for her. Dan's parents ask about what Alice is going to do with her baby and offer to raise him themselves. They reveal that it was them the doctor was calling earlier, and he warned them that Alice was acting hysterical and delusional. Alice gets upset, of course, and says she won't give up her baby to anyone, and to his credit, her dad stands by her, and Alice and Mark leave. And 
Dan's parents are kind of framed as the bad guys in this scene, but I don't think that's entirely fair. I think they're actually being quite reasonable, and honestly, I think the baby would be a lot safer under their care. Can't say that I agree with that. What the fuck do the dead father's grandparents have to do with any of this situation? Why the fuck would the doctor call them to talk about Alice's mental state uh, when apparently her dad has heard nothing about this? Like, the call from the doctor to the parents sounds massively illegal to me. I'm not sure in any way, but I feel as if Alice has a legal right to privacy between her and her doctor. And why can't Alice's dad take the baby? Again, I come back to what do the fucking grandparents have to do with anything? I certainly can't speak to the doctor's motivation or anything, and yeah, he probably didn't exactly do the right thing, but um, since they're in that situation, I mean, Alice is being attacked by Freddy Krueger, like, I think a baby should not be near her. Yeah, I guess so, but I mean, give the baby to the dad, give the baby to the grandparents, Freddy's, if he wants the baby, he's gonna go take the baby, right? I guess so. I just thought that the scene was sort of one-sided. No, I didn't think so. Because even if I agreed that um, the baby would be safer with the grandparents, them coming into her house and just not so lightly suggesting, we just want to take the baby, not like we're going to help you financially or we'll help you with your mental state, just we're going to take the baby, don't even worry about it. That's just crazy. I suppose so. I mean, they think that she's crazy from what the doctor has told them. And, you know, I guess they're probably grieving, of course, at the loss of Dan, and maybe they're looking, well, maybe not looking for a replacement exactly, but... I was just gonna say, get a little replacement, Dan. Yeah, but, um, you know, obviously they want to protect the child that they have left, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose so, but tough shit. <laughs> I just think that this was a really weird and unnecessary scene. It doesn't have any emotional impact, and it certainly doesn't make the plot any more interesting. Mm, well, it has another sort of PSA vibe about it, doesn't it? It seems like another sort of movie of the week thing, where we're taking these lessons about pregnancy and all that. And all the different possible scary outcomes for young mothers. Yeah, like I said, unnecessary. All right. Is it all right? I think we're fighting right now. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and I, I, I don't even disagree with you, really. I'm just, I think it's unfair for the, the scene to frame them to, just as the bad guys. Totally agree. But moreover, I think it's unfair for the scene to be written in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And I guess she is the main character. We've got a side with her. Yeah. Even though I'm not going to, because she's a moron. Yep. <laughs> Back in his studio, Mark tells Alice that although people believed Amanda Kruger committed suicide, there was no body ever buried in her grave. Oh, I couldn't believe that line where he said, They never put her under. Cool, huh? I'm like, uh, no, Mark. No, it isn't. <laughs> Mark looks through a Christian mythology book and says something about her being trapped in her earthly resting place, which is kind of what she said to Alice at the beginning of the movie. And somehow they reach the conclusion that they've got to find where she died to 
release her soul or something. I'm having real trouble trying to even care about any of this. All these rules and plots are coming out of nowhere with very little logic, and it's just bad writing. Bad, lazy writing. It is. Everything that they come up with, every direction that these characters go in, they're based on one of a million possibilities or explanations for what's happening, but they just come up with plan A and fucking go for it. And look, it all works out just the way it's supposed to. Isn't that convenient? And Alice asks Mark to watch over her as she goes to sleep. Oh, and what? What is this now? Now she has to do the sleeping thing again? Why doesn't she just draw a picture of Amanda and think real hard? Isn't that how it works? Now? Oh my god, I've got to stop. I've got to stop. I don't care. <laughs> Next, we see Yvonne in a locker room and she heads to the pool and gets in a jacuzzi. And then we cut to Alice in the asylum in the dream world, searching for Amanda. We go back to Yvonne, who is being watched by Freddy, getting out of the jacuzzi and climbing up to the diving board. As she stands on the edge, the board starts shaking and it starts cracking apart before becoming this huge, monstrous hand that tries to grab her. It's very Tim Burton-esque. She jumps off and dives through a puddle in the empty pool, which becomes broken glass, and she emerges in a big tank of water, which is apparently in the asylum because Alice hears her. We then hear Freddy saying, Let's rock! And roll as Alice sort of sticks to the wall and rolls along it. it. It's just terrible. Could easily be argued that there's no rock involved there. It'd be like concrete or brick. Barely makes sense. Hardly a joke. Yep. Embarrassing. She ends up in that same tank of water, but there's no sign of Yvonne. But Freddy emerges from the water and says some lame shit before pulling Yvonne out of the water and Alice impales Freddy through the mouth with a pull skimmer thing. Alice and Yvonne escape the room and Freddy pulls out the thing and tries to follow but stops at the doorway and it closes. Which Alice explains to Yvonne straight after is because he's scared to come into the asylum because of Amanda. I think the stupidest part of that scene is that freddy just rolled alice into the room and gave her the opportunity to save yvonne who is presumably trying to kill why would he do that i don't know what stop asking questions there are no answers none of this makes sense i get it i'm sorry i get it <laughs> mark's at his place and he's looking at a pile of comics and he finds one called nightmares from hell he looks inside it and sees illustrations of stuff that's happened in this movie so far, and suddenly he yells, very unconvincingly, as he turns into a pencil sketch of himself and gets sucked into the comic. Is he asleep right now? Does it matter? Why can't I stop asking these questions? And is, is this actually deleted footage from AHA's Take On Me video? Because I think it might be. I actually do think that this could be. Inside the comic, Mark finds himself in a messy and more chaotic version of the warehouse that he lives in. I, I think that's what's happening here. He sees Freddy coming towards him, so he runs off. And then the next time he looks at him, Freddy has jumped onto a skateboard. Why? Why is he on a fucking skateboard? Who decided that? And for what purpose? Skateboarding isn't funny. And it's certainly not threatening. And if it's supposed to be cool... Why are they trying and failing to make Freddy look cool? 
why why can't they not do this you know make these films <laughs> yeah i literally yelled no at the television <laughs> when i saw freddy on a fucking skateboard it's just something i never wanted to see freddy krueger doing ever nobody did nobody and it's just out of fucking nowhere as well at least in part four where he puts on sunglasses he was at the beach you know it made a certain kind of sense this is just he's on a skateboard now and we all have to deal with it so as he oh my god skates towards mark he slices through support beams and stuff and mark just covers his face and yells no and freddy disappears when mark opens his eyes basically the whole place caves in a big dollop of blood drips onto the side of mark's face and when he looks up he sees freddy and a fat-faced greta he's still slicing bits from her stomach to eat and mark yells you leave her alone again very unconvincingly Freddy pushes Greta, and he jumps down after her, and I guess in mid-air, Greta turned into one of her dolls because she shatters when she hits the ground. This, for some reason, angers Mark, enough for him to turn into one of his comic book heroes. He just hulked out into the Phantom Prowler, essentially. Oh, this is painful. Here we go. With guns pointed at Freddy, in the deepest voice he can muster, Mark says... Die, you scar-faced limp dick! Ugh, okay, so this is happening. He shoots Freddy a bunch of times as this awful, cheesy music swells. Freddy's flailing his arms around like crazy, really over the top, before he falls down, let's face it, probably not dead. Oh, shocker, Freddy gets up. And now he's a larger actor with Robert England's voice and Freddy's makeup proclaiming that he's Super Freddy. Oh my god. Freddy slices a chunk out of Mark's side, but Mark is made out of paper now. Mm-hmm. He's made out of paper. So the color drains from this 2D cartoon Mark and it pulls at his feet. Freddy slices him to bits, which sounds horrific, but it's not because still paper. Freddy cackles as he does this, and bits of paper are flying around the place, whatever. In the real world, we see Mark's arm covered in blood, because he's dead now. So, very few comments on this scene, but quite a few questions. First, what was that? And second, what the fuck even was that? Who is that supposed to be appealing to? Who is supposed to enjoy that, and on what possible level? That was... The worst death scene, possibly of the whole franchise, possibly not even a death scene. I'm not even entirely convinced that it could qualify as one, and I am fucking livid. That was garbage. It was complete fucking garbage. <laughs> Surprising even me, I'm a little bit conflicted about this death scene. That doesn't surprise me. If you're a cockroach fan, you could be a comic fan. <laughs> <laughs> On one hand, it's the most embarrassing, lame, pathetic, stupid thing I've ever seen. The superhero versions of Mark and Freddy are just unbearably cheesy. I mean, Super Freddy, kill me now. But on the other hand, at least the scene has energy to it. 
Most of the movie is so dull and lethargic, I actually think it needed something as deliriously wacky as this. Visually, it's slightly interesting with the black and white set and the dolls and stuff, and while Mark being made out of paper and cut up by Freddy is undoubtedly lame, along with the confetti bursting out of Freddy when he's shot, it's also a creative way of getting around the MPAA by not having blood. So, yeah, I fucking hate this scene and what it does to tarnish this franchise, but in the context of just this movie, I'm actually kinda glad it's there. Alright, where is Freddy's glove? I'm gonna fucking slice off your other hand. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate your ability to be positive about this stuff, but fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I don't know how I did it. Like, I got to the end of that, and like I said, I hated it. I hated it so much. But I was like, I'm feeling something about this scene, which I can't say for most of the movie. I love that that's the bar. I'm feeling, can you believe it? <laughs> it's hatred, but it's something. <laughs> I actually would like to say, of one thing on your other hand, I did mean to mention that I did like the set design, um, and I liked what they did with the colour, the contrast between the colour of Mark and the black and white all around him. And it didn't work perfectly in every shot. Some of it was lit in a way that made some of the set that was supposed to be black and white kind of orange, but for the most part, it was quite impressively executed. Especially just the difference not having to see that fucking church again is a positive. What have you done to me? <laughs> so Alice wakes up and she looks over to see Mark dead underneath a bunch of fallen stuff. And she goes, Mark, no! <sighs> These line deliveries, they simply must stop. I officially decree that the rest of this feature must be a silent film. There's a quick cut to Yvonne waking up and getting out of the hot tub, and quite frankly, she's lucky she didn't drown. And then we're back to Mark's place. Um, Alice is outside with her dad, and this cop comes over, and he goes, Nothing in that room was up to code. It's a miracle they weren't both killed. Pointing at Alice, as if it's her fucking fault. The adults in these movies are such assholes. Jesus. I almost feel bad for Alice, but then she says, No! He won't hurt me. He needs me alive. Alice, you idiot. Shut the fuck up. Yvonne turns up and Alice tells her that Freddy got Mark. And Yvonne has a quick moment about her friend's death and then they work out that they need to find Amanda to stop Freddy. Alice's dad takes her home despite her small protests and Yvonne goes to the institution to find Amanda. When Yvonne gets to the institution, it looks more like a gothic painting than ever. It looks so insane seeing Yvonne go from one location in this movie to this location in this movie. It's like, come on, seriously, which American street did she turn left on to get to Victorian England? As Yvonne looks around, Alice goes to sleep and finds herself in the dream version of the institution, or I don't know, maybe she just teleports to places now. Who the fuck knows? She runs around yelling at Freddy about stuff that I guess the writers thought would make the story easier for the audience to understand. It doesn't. The dialogue is so transparently expositional and the delivery is so bad, I can't deal. 
It really, truly embarrasses me, and it makes me feel bad. Yvonne, after looking around for a bit, breaks a brick out of a completely random wall. I don't know why, of all of the rooms in the Institute, she knew for no apparent reason that that was where Amanda's body was going to be, just hidden behind this wall. Where, where did she come up with that? How did she decide that that was where her body was? I guess I can just answer myself with my go-to response, who the fuck knows? Suddenly Freddy shows up out of nowhere and he starts to chase Alice, but then he stops when he finds himself at the entrance to that room where he was conceived with all of the crazy people and he seems slightly afraid of it. Alice comes up behind him with that big creepy pram and she impales him on some spikes that are apparently fixed to the front of it. She pushes him into the room and he and the pram fall to the bottom of the stairs. Well, actually Freddy does, but the pram seems to just disappear. The 100 Maniacs go for Freddy and he starts to scream and he sinks beneath the crowd who are presumably about to rape him. Oh, nope, they're just gonna dismember him. Sexist, bunch of sexist maniacs right here. <laughs> we see one of Freddy's disembodied arms get thrown to the ground and it turns into spiders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what the fuck was that about? That looked terrible, those animated spiders. And just why, why bother including that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I suppose it's supposed to be nightmarish, but it's not nightmarish in any way that we've seen Freddy be so far. They're just they're just throwing any shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. But I feel like yeah, that it didn't work. It didn't stick, and it's there anyway. But anyway, one of the spiders falls on Alice, so she freaks out and she throws her jacket on the ground and she stomps at, but not on the spiders. I think they must have been real in that shot, so it doesn't look good for the film because she's stomping near them, but clearly not on them, but they were real spiders, so I'm glad to not see them get crushed. Alice then hears Jacob's voice and then Freddy's, so she walks towards them and she finds the two of them uh, in the church. We're back in the church, except it's all upside down and all over the place, staircases leading every which way. Just imagine that MC Escher print because clearly someone involved here is a fan. Yeah, I actually quite like that set. It's quite nicely done, I think. And it's huge, too. Like, that shot where they pull out and reveal the scope of it is actually pretty impressive. But still, it was way better when they did it in Labyrinth. Agreed. And when Jacob's running from Freddy and Alice is trying to get to Jacob, it's not the worst image-wise, but there is a lot of bad green screen to achieve all of it. And yeah, it's... The set really is good, but the scene is not spectacular. So suddenly Dan walks in, and he tells Jacob that everything's okay, but Alice yells that it's not him, and of course it's not, it's Freddy. So Jacob runs, and he and Alice finally find each other. Oh, and I took a note here of a wide shot of the set that I think looks pretty good, so I, I do agree with you on that. Having said that, it's still nothing I haven't seen in some form or another before. Like I said, I'm just kind of fucking sick of seeing this church. Alice asks where Freddy is, and Jacob said he's inside, and she asks how, and Jacob says Freddy told him it was easy because he knows her so well. That explains nothing. Stop talking, you two. Silent film, I'm fucking serious. Alice turns around, and suddenly she's got Freddy face. She's got the burn makeup on, and she's screaming and straining because Freddy is emerging from her body. I'm not going to describe it because I can't be fucking bothered. It's a bunch of prosthetics work. It's impressive, but as usual, it makes no sense conceptually, and I'm just not into it. 
I'm with you, but unsurprisingly, I think this whole thing of Freddy emerging from within Alice is fucking awesome. I'll never get tired of those kind of practical effects, even if they're a little bit derivative now. Yvonne has managed to break through that brick wall, apparently so suddenly that she had to fall onto the ground, and she finds Amanda, or, you know, sees the back of her anyway. This is the real world, so I, I guessed initially that Amanda is a straight-up ghost, but when Yvonne touches her shoulder, she turns to reveal that she's a badly decomposed body, like a grey, slightly fleshy skeleton. So she wasn't a ghost at that point, but she was a decomposed body with a perfectly ironed and pressed nun's outfit, which is as, as white as the day she first wore it, which is insane. But then this skeleton, it suddenly turns into the living Amanda Kruger, or maybe the straight-up ghost Amanda Kruger, who says, Thank you, and disappears. And I guess Yvonne just sorted out the Amanda situation then. Is that what just happened? Fine, sure. Yeah, that thank you line made me laugh out loud. It's so fucking dumb. And thank you for what? Just finding where she was? That's all it took? Yep, she didn't bury the body, she didn't she didn't respect the dead or anything, she just touched her shoulder. What 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 is that supposed to mean? Why should that achieve anything? So Amanda turns up in the dream world and she tells Jacob that he has the power that Freddy gave to him and that's how to defeat Freddy. So Yvonne had to touch ghost Amanda to give her the ability to turn up in the dream world, which she already did when Freddy was reborn at the start of this goddamn film. Again, questions. Stop it. Jacob now has Freddy burnt face as well. It's just going around, apparently. And he tells Freddy to leave Alice alone because she's not fun anymore. So instead of killing her and doing whatever he wants with Jacob, he agrees, I suppose, that she's not fun anymore, so instead he just pushes her onto the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Jacob says, School's out, Kruger. That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't have anything to do with anything that's going on. So then he vomits onto Freddy, which causes the fleshy umbilical cord-like souls of Greta, Dan, and Mark to tear through Freddy's back and eventually rip baby Freddy out of him, leaving just a pile of clothes again, like we had at the start of the movie when the baby turned into Freddy. And now we have to look at this shitty Freddy baby puppet again. The baby Freddy tries to run away, but Amanda grabs it, and Jacob has turned into a baby himself, and Alice picks him up. The Freddy baby magically disappears into Amanda's insides, and the same thing seems to happen with Jacob and Alice. Amanda starts to leave, seemingly in pain, and Alice starts after her, but Amanda tells her to take her baby and leave. <sighs> then Freddy's fully grown arm rips out of Amanda's stomach, and I don't know or care what any of this shit is supposed to mean. Freddy is defeated, he's not defeated, who fucking cares? Now, I can hear you all asking, why hasn't he commented on the fact that Jacob and Alice were able to escape Freddy's power because Jacob vomited on him? I'll tell you why. Dog piss. If Freddy can be resurrected by dog piss, he can be semi-defeated by vomit. That is clearly on the table. At this point, the attitude towards these movies is quite simply, why the fuck not? 
I couldn't even process this whole climax. Just so much weird shit is going on, and I just don't get what the capabilities and powers of any of the characters are. Amanda just tells Jacob what to do. Jacob somehow knows to vomit on Freddy. Why does that hurt him? I just can't understand any of it, really. And that's because it's pure nonsense, of course. I sort of like the practical effect of the souls breaking out of Freddy's body, but it also looks really laughable. That part where the soul of Greta, like, screams at the camera is hilariously bad. Hate it. Hate everything about it. In the last scene, yes, we're finally here, Alice, her dad, and Yvonne are hanging out in a park with newly born Jacob. The shot zooms out, and we see one of the little girls in white playing with a skipping rope. Pointless. The movie's over now, but that last scene was pointless. The idea that Freddy might still be around was pretty well established in the last scene, which was 30 fucking seconds ago, so this is just nothing. This is just the tacked-on happy end of the movie scene. Yeah, I mean, the twist with the skipping girl, it's a comparatively subtle one, which is kind of nice, but the resolution is so quick and basic, I don't really feel like the story is resolved at all. And also, like I said, we just had that twist. The twist that Freddy is still alive happened a second after he was apparently defeated, and then a second later we have another, ooh, Freddy's around twist, like... It's as if they twisted it and then twisted it right back to straight again, which resulted in, like you said, just this really basic scene to, to end the film. Ugh. It's a little hard to judge because by this point I'm getting sick of the formula in general, but I think I can say with relative confidence that this is the worst film in the series so far. Coming out less than a year after part 4, it was rushed into production, not even having a finished script during filming, and it really shows. It's such a bizarre mess of a movie that at once tries too hard, and not hard enough. As I'm sure we've made clear, not much makes sense in this movie, and it just gave me a headache trying to figure it all out. They go for a bit of a darker tone in this one, which sounds like a good idea, but it clashes with the silly, more ludicrous elements, and just creates confusion. The whole baby-slash-motherhood theme they have going on doesn't feel like it fits in very well in the movie. It's hard to say, though. Like a lot of ideas, they could have been good if they'd actually worked on them. There's still some creativity going on in terms of production design and special effects, at least. It's too bad the MPAA is there to remove a lot of it, though. I couldn't give a fuck about any of the characters, even Alice, who I didn't mind in the last movie, just annoys me here. The only one that seems halfway decent is Yvonne, so it's nice that she survives, but I wish she had had more to do. I don't care for Freddy in this one either. He's either trying to be scary and failing, or just delivering another lame one-liner. I also don't really like the makeup on him in this movie. It doesn't look as good as the previous entries. I don't have the energy to say anything else about this movie. It sucks, but in such a lifeless way that I can't even care about it. Surely the franchise can't sink any lower, right? <laughs> well, I pretty much agree, first off, with 
this movie sucked. Just another entry in the Elm Street franchise that was somehow worse than the last. It feels pretty similar to Nightmare 4, but with even less directional flair and a messier, more senseless story. Like you said, the script hadn't been finished when the movie started shooting, and like you said, it really, really shows. I don't even understand why they brought Alice and Dan back. Dan's dead in five seconds, and Alice is even less compelling in her next 90 minutes of the franchise. The new characters just piss me off to varying degrees. First off, fuck that kid, Jacob. Omitting the first word of every one of your sentences is not scary. I didn't dislike Yvonne, but she's frustrating by being aggressively incredulous most of the time. Mark is just an all-around embarrassment, including his death scene, maybe not death scene, which I still can't get over because it fucking exists. Lastly, Greta. Basically makes no impression, I almost forgot to write anything about her. Freddy is goofier and more embarrassing than ever, with his one-liners which almost universally refuse to make sense or, you know, be it all funny. So, yeah, basically nothing positive to note here. Essentially, the only way this film could have been saved is if they scrapped the entire concept and made it into a gritty drama about Alice's dad's arduous but ultimately rewarding journey back from alcoholism. Hmm. Excuse me, I have to make some calls. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of Hack and Slash. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast platform may be. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr. The links to those can be found on soundcloud.com slash hack and slash cast. And you can leave us some feedback and tell us what you thought of A Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Next time, we have another special bonus episode coming out, where we discuss the second season of Freddy's Nightmares. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us then. Comic books was bad for you! <laughs>